0: I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter number 12 today, Hebrews chapter number 12. This week was a great week in the life of Bethel, and we uh, uh, had our vacation Bible school. It was a fantastic time. Part of the fun of that was twist and turns. It was a game theme, and uh, today's sermon is playing off of that theme just a little bit. And so uh, the title of today's message is In It, To Win It. And uh, we had, as part of our fun t- uh, gathering in the assembly time in the mornings during Vacation Bible School, a minute to win it. And among those games, uh, we, uh, the kids had a minute to try to figure out a way to win a uh, contest. And there were different ones during the week. And one of them that really captured my attention was an Oreo that they put on their foreheads. And to lean their head back, put the Oreo on your forehead, not use your hands, and get it in your mouth somehow. In a minute. I'm very motivated when it comes to Oreos. <laughs> but they didn't let me uh, pra- practice that, although I... Trying to get Christy to show me how that works at home, but it hasn't happened. I thought we'd bring the deacons up this morning and we'd do uh, that and see if they could uh, get the oriole in their mouth. The question was about how do I do that? How do I figure, out, figure that out? Hmm. Today I invite you to look with me to the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we have such a great, large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son. Do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? And if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them, shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may, be disloc- may, be, may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we look into this passage of scripture, we're going to think about the witnesses that are described here in this passage of scripture. Who are they and what are they doing? Secondly, the race that is set before us and the, the course that we are to run. And then the weight that wants to entangle us and what we do with it. And then finally, how do we win this race That is set before us. I think it was 1994 I was in Boulder Colorado at one of the early promise keeper meetings in the stadium there that was at the University of Colorado. It was a meeting led by Bill McCartney who was the head football coach at the University of Colorado. He had a terrific career he won eight Big Eight Conference titles and a national championship in 1990. The stadium was filled with men from all over the country in that Promise Keepers rally. And one of the things at the end of the rally is that they had the pastors come down onto the field, and Bill McCartney led a cheer, and he led in a rally of cheering as the stadium filled with all of these men. And pastors who came forward, he began to cheer and encourage and celebrate them and their ministry. It was an humbling feeling surrounded by a great throng of men cheering us on to be men of God and to humbly lead our churches as pastors. I felt valued and understood and encouraged and strengthened by the voice of those witnesses. Here the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 1, we have such a large cloud of witnesses. The stadium is like a cloud. It's filled with those in the heavens. And they are cheering us on as we are in the competition, the race that is set before us. And he says, he's encouraging us. Now, who are these witnesses? The word that is used here is the word that we get the word martyr from. It is one who bears witness even by his own death. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. When we use the word witness, it means we saw with our own eyes, we heard with our own ears. We have observed, we are witnesses of these. We're not, we're not just a spectator, although we sometimes use it that way. I witnessed that event. In 2006, I witnessed the St. Louis Cardinals winning the World Series. I was at the final game, and I saw the Cardinals win the World Series crown. My daughter, Valerie, was with me, and we were witnesses of Wainwright closing out that World Series and that championship. That seems like a long time ago, particularly the way the Cardinals are playing these days. A witness is someone called to testify what they know or observed, In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he's talking about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And while he's preaching, he says, we are all witnesses of these things. We saw it. We know it to be true that Jesus lived this life. Jesus died that death and Jesus rose again. And we are witnesses of these things. He says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And this cloud of witnesses, they are testifying to us about the faithfulness of God. What do we know about these witnesses? Well, if you look, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, it's connecting Chapter 12 to chapter number 11. and chapter 11, is this great hall of faith, hall of fame, faith. It is those who've gone on before us and have, they were faithful to the Lord. In chapter 11, verse number 39, it says, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. He says they were faithful even though in their lifetime they didn't experience all that was promised to them. They remained faithful unto God. And they were approved through their faith in verse number 39. In, In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. In chapter number 11 verse number 6, it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Amen. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Yes, These in chapter number 11 were men and women of faith. They were faithful men and women who trusted God and they obeyed God. They not only were faithful, secondly, they were obedient. They were obedient unto God. In chapter number 11, verse 24. Look at the example of Moses, and by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead. To the reward, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he grew up, he grew into his faith and understanding of his identity, and he made a conscious choice. I will not be identified with Pharaoh's house. I will be identified with God's people. And he chose to suffer with God's people more than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Boy, what a, what a statement that is about sin. Sin is always fleeting in its pleasure. Sin, sin is against holy God and sin is devastating in your own life. Amen. Satan is a liar and a thief. Yes, and he comes to, to, to kill and to destroy. Amen. And he never comes to give you life. Jesus alone gives life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, and that life abundant, full, and meaningful. Sin is a trick and a lie. Sin will take you further than you meant to stray. It will keep you longer than you meant to stay. And it will cost you more than you meant to pay. Sin is a lie. And this is what Moses knew. Moses knew it was fleeting pleasures of sin. And he considered reproach for the sake of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He could have known a life of pleasure. He could have known a life of wealth. He could have known a great life of of ease. But instead, he identified with God's people and with Jesus Christ. Notice the illustration of Rahab. I think it's an amazing thing in chapter number 11. We go from the faith of Abraham and we see the faith of Sarah and we see the faith of Moses. And then, who is this? Verse 31. And by faith Rahab, a prostitute, the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Notice she obeyed God. Now listen, Rahab. She was just a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. She had heard how God had rescued his people from Egypt. She had heard about their mighty God, but she didn't know them. You see, Rahab, she wasn't part of the exodus. Rahab didn't experience the Passover. Rahab didn't experience the crossing of the Red Sea. Rahab didn't experience the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. Rahab didn't experience... God at Sinai. Rahab didn't know about the Ten Commandments. Rahab didn't know about worship in the tabernacle. Rahab didn't know about the rituals of worship. Rahab only had a simple faith. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that God is the true God, and I need to be saved. Rahab held to that and put that scarlet thread in her window and God saved her and her house by her faith. You see, for by grace are you saved through faith. Amen. And that not of yourselves is a gift from God. Who are these witnesses? They were blessed. In chapter number 11, verse number 16. Now they, they but they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to call their God For he has prepared a city for them. They knew that this world was not their home. They have a greater home than this. And they will experience the blessing of that citizenship in heaven. Of that home made without hands in heaven. Folks, this world is not our home. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Amen? Amen. What great reward what great reward in chapter number 11, verse number 26. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to, its, to a reward. Moses knew there was something greater than life in Egypt. Amen. Folks, these are the witnesses that are testifying to us of God's goodness and grace and kindness And that God is true. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. says they conquered by the blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. Listen to what Paul says at the end of his life. He writes to Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but all that love his appearing. Amen. I'm telling you, there's great reward in following Jesus. That's what these, tes- these martyrs, these witnesses are testifying. God is true. God is real. God he is Faithful, God is. He is a rewarder of those who faithfully obey him. They are speaking. In chapter 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. These martyrs are speaking. Who are they speaking to? They're speaking to us about the faithfulness of God. So in chapter 12, we have these witnesses around us. And they're saying God is true. God is sure. God is following God, the Lord and obeying him by faith is worth it. That God is with us. And They are giving Testimony. And their testimony is a personal testimony they lived through. And at the end of their life, they are surrounding us in glory, giving testimony to us. Don't quit. Don't waver. Don't stop being faithful. God is true. Wow. Can you imagine them trying to, they had experienced it. This isn't just a spectator witness. This is somebody who experienced it and come through it. And they're giving their testimony. Can you imagine them trying to shut up Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? That ain't true. It was true. I was dead. I was in the grave. I was starting to rot. And he brought me back. To life. Wow. It's a testimony of somebody who's experienced it. And that's true. I spoke of the Cardinals a while ago. Wainwright is still pitching kind of We all love him to death. But you know, he is a testimony. You see, he was on a team in 2006 that should have never won the World Series. But they caught lightning in a bottle. And they won. He could give a testimony about being on a helpless, hapless-seeming situation. And maybe there's hope today. (laughs) These witnesses far exceed any earthly witness. Because they've come through it. And now they are in the presence of God. God. And they're shouting to us, God is true. Amen. And he'll take care of you. Isn't that beautiful? Secondly, not only notice the witnesses, but secondly, notice the race. He says, let us run chapter 12, the end, verse 1, the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance. The race that lies before us. The race that lies before us, number one, you have before you a race. It's a personal race. The race is set before you. It's your race to run. Now, we're all running in this race, but you have your own track, your own lane that you're in. And it's a very personal lane. I can't run your race. And you can't run my race. And I can't finish for you. You must run yours. And in this race, connecting with the Bible school theme, there are twists and turns in the race. There are detours. Anybody ever notice some detours? Hard knocks. Disappointments. Trials, yeah. My grandfather was an old man all the time that I knew him. Very old, seemingly to me. He was born in 1889. That would make him pretty old, wouldn't it? He was 50 when my dad was born. And I knew him. I used to go to church and sit beside him in church, and he'd bring his worn Bible and follow along as the preacher would preach. And he would say often, God is faithful. Were there twists and turns in his life? Yes. He lived through the Great Depression, he had a farm that only had three payments left on it and in bank collapses and in the middle of the depression, they foreclosed on his farm with three payments left. The bank stole his farm. The same year, his son died. Three years old. And yet I remember him looking at me and saying he is faithful. What twists and turns are you going through in your life? He's with you. It's the race that you have before you. Run with endurance the race set before you. Don't quit. Don't weary. Hear the voice of the witnesses who went through twists and turns and difficulties. And they didn't even always experience the promise in their life. But they did experience the promise. Not only is it a personal race, it's a predetermined race. It's a course that God has laid before you. And not everybody's course is exactly the same. You remember, you remember the sons of Zebedee. What were their names? Do you know? Bible quiz. James and John, that's right. And they were fishermen in Galilee and Zebedee had the boats and the... Right? And James and John followed Jesus, right? Along with Andrew and Peter. And they were followers of Christ, became his disciples. And remember, their mother also followed Jesus and helped support Jesus from her ministry. And remember this episode in the last hours of our Savior's life when their mother, James and John's mother, Zebedee's wife, comes to Jesus and said, I'm going to ask you to do something for me, and would you do it? And he said, what do you want? And she said, I would like for my sons. Now, by the way, they were there within the hearing. Mama is asking, I would like for my boys to sit on your right hand and your left hand when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at the two boys and said, do you all think you can drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, yes, we're able. He said, well, you are going to drink a cup. But you don't really understand what you're asking for. Listen, there was James and John grew up in the same house, same father, same mother, same background. They both left the boats and their fishing business the same. They followed Jesus the same. They were at the cross the same. Were there at the day of the resurrection the same. They experienced Pentecost the same. But the course of their life was not the same. James becomes one of the very first martyrs, and he dies at the sword of Herod. Is it because of any sin on his part? No. That was the course. He was faithful even in martyrdom. John? John, on the other hand, ends up as an old man, one of the oldest disciples to live, giving us Scripture, the verse that given us the great book of Revelation, written from the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner, two brothers, two different courses, both men faithful unto God. God set before you a course. It's yours. And he will walk with you every step of the way. Thank you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The witnesses, the race, the weight. Mm. Look with me, chapter 12. He said, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that easily entangles us, ensnares us, clings to us he said you got to divest yourself of these weights weight wants to hold you back in the race and weight wants to trip you up in the race the sin is a besetting sin it's a it trips you up it holds you back it keeps you from running the race. What kind of sin is it that trips us up? First of all, it could be the sin of the flesh. These are sins of the flesh. Passion and desires and appetite. Sexual sin. I find this deeply perplexing to me and troubling. That the culture and the society that we live in wants us to celebrate all kinds of sexual sin as not only normative, but as to be celebrated. All kinds of perversion, desires and cravings And it's a lie out of hell. God gave a good and beautiful gift of sexuality and sex to mankind. And the blessing of it, but the boundaries of it are within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. I'm telling you, if you think, guys or, and women, fill in your minds with pornography and feeding all types of sensuality, that you're going to find liberation in life. You will not. You find only death. There's not only sins of the flesh, there's sins of the heart, envy, Jealousy, greed, slander, gossip, lying, coveting. You know these, you know them. You might cover them, but you hold them in your heart. These are besetting, they're hindering, they want to cling cling on to us. You can't can't run the race wearing the long lengthy robes that they wore back in the first century. Instead they stripped themselves of those so that you don't get entangled in them and they girded themselves and they competed. So lay aside these things. There's sins of the spirit refusing to forgive someone holding on to bitterness and a root of bitterness deep in you. You know if it's there. Some coddled injury, real or perceived. And it's tripping you up. Refusing to believe God, trust God to do the right thing. It hinders you. It trips you up. In the book of James, just over a few pages from where we were reading just a moment ago, in chapter number 3, beginning with verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding by his good conduct? He should show that his works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there's envy and selfish ambition, there's disorder and every evil practice. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, Galatians chapter 5, listen to the words of Paul. He said, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not of the law. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and any similar thing. I'm warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This kind of sin trips you up. It's, it's, it sucks the life out of you, and it destroys you. It hinders you from maturing in your faith. It hinders you from being a good servant in God's kingdom. It hinders your witness in a lost world. I don't know what the ball and chain is around your leg spiritually, but you need to cut it off. And repent. The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Amen. Repent, turn to God. Don't say, well, well, that's just the way I am. I just like to gossip. Well, you see how that works when you stand before a holy God and you see what that sin really is. Amen? Not quiet in here all of a sudden. Finally today, how do I win this race? Well, let's look back to our text again. We've already already sort of hinted at it, haven't we? This is how you win. First of all, you need to put off the things that hinder. The things that hold you back. Put off the hindrances. Notice what he says. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So if you look with me to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Paul talks about putting off certain things in our life. Look with me to verse number five. Therefore, Colossians 3, 5, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off, that's the language, put off. You've taken off these old clothes. These are the the former life. These are your grave clothes. Take them off with its practices. And now put on what? The new self. Being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord's forgiven you, you forgive. Above all, put on. These are the garments of grace put on love which is the perfect bond of unity amen this is what we must do to win is put off and put on and put in the word of god in your heart wow Let the word of Christ richly dwell among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Amen. Not only that, we should run with endurance the race that's set before us. That means we persevere, we keep on, we run hard, we don't give up, we don't faint, we discipline ourselves for that purpose. We train for that. We know that this is not an easy race. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 25, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Here again, he's using the language of Olympic-type games, isthmus games. He says they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body, bring it under strict control, that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified, sit on the shelf, he says, run to compete. Run with endurance. Be disciplined. Train your mind for the race and your body. I was not the greatest high school athlete. I did play sports. I enjoyed playing ball, I enjoyed playing football. I enjoyed playing baseball. I, uh, I, and in the high school where I went, You had, if you were going to play football on a varsity squad, you also need to participate in other sports. So one year I decided I was going to run track. Ah! And wouldn't you know it, the guy that runs the mile got sick and I had to run the mile in the regional uh, relays. I mean, a regional race. And so... I'd been practicing the quarter mile and gotten my time down pretty good. So I thought, no trouble, I just got got to run four of those. (laughs) And so I was in the lead at the end of the first lap. And the second lap, I was still in the lead. In the third lap, something terribly wrong went wrong in my body. And I started running out of energy. And by the fourth lap, I was out of gas, humiliated, defeated, and came in dead last. I'd like to tell you that that's the only time in my life I've ever had a classic failure. But it's not. Have you ever felt like you failed in your life? Run out of gas? Rich, you would have coached me better on that, wouldn't you? We need to discipline ourselves for godliness, to buffet our body and make it our slave, and fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Folks, if you get your eyes on other people, they'll fail you. You get your eyes on a preacher, he'll fail you. You get your eyes on politics, They'll surely fail you. Eyes on the denomination, it will disappoint you. Eyes on the culture, it will disappoint you. But fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And he is set down at the right hand of God. Fill your mind with this person. Yes, fill your mind with his passion for you. And fill your mind with his position and glory. Amen. Amen. And finally, endure suffering. In chapter, in, in the book of Hebrews again, he moves from this idea to discipline And then also Christ's suffering. He says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. And then he says, In struggling against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Then verse 7. Endure suffering as discipline. God's dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? He said, if you're not disciplined by the Lord, then you're really an illegitimate son. And he says, in the suffering, in the difficulty, in the trials, God disciplines you. God refines you. God is training you. God is transforming you. And in the difficulty of the race, understand that God hasn't abandoned you. He's right there with you so that you will draw near to God and he draws near to you. That you cast your burdens on him and he lifts you up. Somebody said it, should have said, amen. We endure these, this suffering. But he walks with us every step of the way. Amen. Do y'all believe that? Amen. Our Bible story, our Bible school kids this week were learning about the life of Peter. And Peter had struggles and failures and faults, didn't he? And times when he doubted and disbelieved, even denied the Lord. But one of the songs the kids learned this week was, we can fail and still find grace. We can slip and still run the race. We can fall and get back up. For we have a God that we can trust. We can doubt and still have faith that our God will not turn away. He's there to rescue us. There's hope because of his love. Amen. And then it closes with this song, this verse. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Do not fear, for I am with you. I am your God. So do not be afraid. And then another song that they learned is Jesus is all I need. Man, I'm telling you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you're all I need. You are my everything. I want the world to see Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, you make me whole. Jesus, you are my heart and soul. I want the world to know, Jesus, you're all I need. Even when doubts and fears surround me, I will call on your name. I know that your arms are around me, and they are keeping me safe. Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, you're my everything. Jesus, I want the world to see. Jesus you're all I need Jesus you make me whole Jesus you're my heart and soul I want the world to know Jesus you're all I need fix your eyes on Jesus he's all that you need amen father in heaven So we come to this time today of taking your supper. We're focusing on Jesus and how that he indeed is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray that today, as we take this bread and drink this juice, we will remember how Jesus poured out his life. For us. And that our salvation is not based in our efforts, but it's in the work of Christ for us. The work that He's begun and will bring to completion. In Jesus' name, Amen.